0: This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborns Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. Good afternoon, Taisei. Hello, Alex. We've got a a big episode ahead of
1: us, lots to talk about.
0: Uh, So
1: let's get right into it on this fine Sunday afternoon.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, our last show was eight days ago, was actually the morning of the Canadians uh, win two to one in overtime over the Leafs. And I have to say, since the losing streak, hope amongst pretty much everyone hadn't been as high as it was after that game. And we said going into this week, it would be the make or break week against uh, four teams in a playoff spot, Arizona, Boston, Pittsburgh, Dallas. And, uh, well, they broke. They won none of them. And in the span of seven days, hope totally plummeted and is basically 100% out of the window for the Canadians. It's uh, pretty low spirits, I would say. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's,
0: it, we were you like this whole 750 thing
1: uh it was looking really good after that lease win and uh yeah they re- they really pulled it there on the- this week so they they went over four i think they picked up one point in four games uh and yeah. uh yeah I, I guess i guess that's that's been the narrative of the Habs this this kind of season you know they're they're looking they're, they're looking good and then uh it seems out of nowhere they kind of fall off uh of, of a cliff Although this week, although we admittedly this week, uh, it was against a bunch of playoff teams, but to lose all of them, and uh, we'll get into the games individually, but some of them in pretty humiliating fashion, uh, it really does show. Like, sure, these are strong teams you're playing against, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna be a playoff team, you're gonna have to beat these kind of teams. And so I think, uh, looking at these games, we can firmly say that the Habs, uh, both standings wise and also quality of team wise, uh, they're not a playoff team.
0: Yeah, exactly uh before we get into the the gloom of the games do you want to talk a little bit about a bit about the uh the Canadian skills competition that that uh we went to uh, a week ago today yeah
1: sure so uh sunday morning uh or an early start i think it started at ten o'clock and the door's opened at nine thirty yeah. uh yeah so uh quite quite the, so it was uh so about the event you know uh you know it was it's always fun uh you know to go see in, in any sort of Habs event uh at the bell center because you know it's just you're what you're watching the halves but uh as it relates to the event itself i mean i had tons of fun but uh not gonna lie there was a lot of uh we we both you know we commented a lot on this uh at the time it's just there was a lot of dead time you want you want you want to talk about a bit a bit about how that uh kind of went down
0: yeah so the uh the skills competition was scheduled to start at 10 so we showed up at 10 we were in our seats uh, they brought out uh, some kids to play a kids game. They played three eight-minute periods. It's actually pretty fun, pretty entertaining. Uh, by the time that was done, it was I don't know, must have been ten thirty, ten forty-five. Uh, then they had some lucky fan shoot, uh, shoot a puck from you know uh, they do from the opposite blue line to into the little hole in the net on the other side to try and win a prize. He actually shocked us. He actually managed to score. Kind of went crazy one of the highlights actually and he won uh, what was it a $5000 gift card to Rona uh not yeah. not a, not exactly a dream prize but but a, a special moment anyway the
1: prize was kind yeah, of underwhelming but but he, but, he, but he got on the first shot good for him
0: yeah it was pretty pretty great uh the players came out for a for a warm up and uh then they went back to the locker room and the first event fastest skater didn't actually start until 11:35 so we had uh over an hour and a half from the scheduled start time to the time the events actually got started, which was a little bit funny, a little bit annoying. But uh, once it got going, it was uh, pretty fast-paced, I thought. There were just five events, uh, Fastest Skater, Max Domi won that one, uh, Accuracy Shooting. We had thought Jake Evans had won, but there was uh, some sort of malfunction or something that had to go again, and the winner ended up being Thomas Tatar uh or the other events i'm actually i can't well there was hard to shot shea weber was injured so he couldn't partake jeff petrie won that one uh, and then uh they stick, had a weird hand- uh yes it was called they called mm-hmm. it the stick handling and one timer event but i think they they did it wrong because there was actually no stick handling involved whatsoever they just did like a, a skate through a slalom and then Uh, a one-timer and whoever like hit the target did the whole thing fastest won and Brendan Gallagher won in the interview after he even said he didn't know if anybody actually did the drill properly
1: yeah uh the whole there there was a general aura of you know they kind of threw it at the last minute you know they kind of threw it together because it's not such a huge thing uh what going back to the the accuracy thing that we were talking about you, you said there was like some sort of technical malfunction it just seemed that uh, nobody really had the rules straight, and so uh, if you if you re- they posted the rules, uh, you know, on the big screen up on the uh, above the ice, and uh, it clearly stated that the winner would be the player who hit all four targets in the fewest amount of shots. Uh, and so that was Thomas Tatar. I think he hit four for four, uh, and Jake yeah. Evans hit four for five. But Jake Evans actually got his four for five in less time than Thomas Tatar got his uh, four for four. And uh, the, the, the biggest problem with this whole system was that they had the, the the scores posted up on the leaderboard, and they actually put up the times. And so you had no idea who was actually winning, and and they based their leaderboard solely off the times. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, when I think they realized that near the end. Like, uh, oh, crap, we're not actually determining the winner off the time, but actually on the number of shots. Uh, and so since Jake Evans, he, he he was the winner in terms of time, I think they made him go again. Uh, you know, I don't know why, but sure. Uh, so I, I think Thomas Tatar based on the rules that they posted was the rightful winner all along. Uh, but yeah, a bit of a, a weird technical mix up there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the stick handling event, it was weird because they, they, as you said, there was no stick handling. It was, it was like a, you know, you'd expect them to go through the slalom with a puck, but they placed the puck at the end of the slalom and then had them pass it to a teammate who then, you know, and then they one-timed it. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just overall, Uh, As a summary, I mean, I think it was definitely geared more towards, you know, kids, because, you know, we we saw a lot of kids out there, Uh, you know, it was Mm -hmm. relatively low, it it was a very low cost event. And so, uh, you know, like a a good Sunday morning uh, event for the family. And so I I think, you know, it just uh, was fun. And uh, it was a fun little Habs thing. And uh, yeah, just, I don't know if I'd go again next year, but I'm certainly glad I went this year.
0: Yeah, it was it was definitely fun, at least for uh, just to go uh, one time. But uh, unfortunately, it led into the the week that uh, in which the Canadian season officially fell apart. I guess now it's time for for the sad news. The next night against the the Coyotes was the game that I thought, looking at the four games this week, that one should have been uh, if because the, they had to win at least three of them. That one should have been the one that was in the bag, considering that you had to win three and they came they started great they were up two nothing from the first two minutes including Jake Evans first career goal everything was looking great and not only that they ended up losing not only that not even just that it was in regulation also that they blew a two nothing lead and that the winning goal was scored with just a minute left by Jacob Chikrin all those things just made made that loss seem like you know an even greater cause for despair then just you know another loss would have been if they had played fine all the way through and if it wasn't like if it didn't feel like they blew it like they had it and they blew it then maybe I could have been a little bit more optimistic heading out into the rest of the week even though they were playing three great teams Boston Pittsburgh Dallas uh but but the fact that how they lost is what made it feel like at that point uh there was basically no hope left
1: yeah and, and- not to mention uh, the quality of opposition on this team. As you mentioned, this is the, the game that you wanted, we wanted to win. This was an Arizona team that was ice cold, uh, playing like complete crap. And so, yeah, we totally expected uh, to win this game. And to come out with not even a single point, uh, frankly, is unacceptable. And, uh, yeah, honestly, the season was probably dead after that one game. Uh, because, look, they they jumped out to 2 nothing lead after just five minutes. And I was watching and I was like, okay. We've got it. All right. with well, The hot streak continues, uh, and we're about to carry it into Boston. Watch out. Uh, and then after that, it just seems they, like they couldn't get anything going whatsoever. Uh, outclassed by Arizona. And, uh, yeah, they I, they didn't deserve to win the game because it just seemed that after they got that lead, they kind of you know shut the engine off uh, and let Arizona dictate the play, pace of the game, uh, especially that second period. I mean, that second period, uh, just Montreal looked absolutely dead out there. Arizona dominated. Uh, I think the shots were were something stupid, like 15-4 or something like that. Uh, It just seemed like the Habs just fell asleep. Uh, They couldn't get anything going. They were totally outclassed. So, yeah, looking at that kind of performance, uh, that was not a playoff team performance against a team that you you could argue doesn't belong in the playoffs either in the Coyotes. And so just uh, outright embarrassing. And this kind of performance where they take a lead and then they make a bunch of mental lapses uh, throughout the rest of the game and they end up losing that multi-goal lead, losing the game uh is has has frankly been you know this this game was kind of a microcosm for the whole season as a whole uh and and yeah just and and also just the losing streaks in general uh we've seen two eight game losing streaks and and we're in the middle of a long run right now
0: yeah four games right now they've lost in a row from this past week uh including two against uh boston and pittsburgh and uh if anyone still had any hope after the coyotes game that possibly they could win Uh, the next three, that that was obviously shot down against the Bruins. Boston and Pittsburgh are just two teams that are simply on on the next level, the elite tier of the NHL, obviously. And uh, they lost 4-1 to against both of those teams, Um, not necessarily because they played so terribly, but they're simply just a couple levels below Boston and Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, uh, but with these two games... Honestly, I, I think I don't really have much else to say other than they were just not the better team. And you could you could clearly tell the level of talent, the level of coaching and all that. Uh, just, just Boston and Pittsburgh, both, you know, the class of the Eastern Conference and the league. And it just seems like the Habs couldn't catch up. And if you can't, they really did not look like a playoff team in those two games. They just, it wasn't even close.
0: Mm-hmm. You, keep saying, you keep saying not looking like a playoff team. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not a playoff team uh even with a full uh team that's fully healthy i don't think they're good enough to be in the playoffs and i did kind of like we were going back and forth a little bit yesterday about uh the possible future of mark Bergerman. we don't need to dive into it so deep right now that's maybe a conversation for another day whether or not he should be whether he should be given another chance stick around or not personally i would say no 8 years is enough and uh but the thing that's most frustrating is that it feels like we've been conditioned as a fan base to be okay with a mediocre team a team with a uh, a distant shot at making the playoffs and uh yeah so that's that's what uh, really worries me
1: yeah and uh i was firmly on you know the is doing a good thing he's turned it around train uh, until you you know uh, recently you pointed out this point where uh you know he's kind of conditioned us to mediocrity uh, to to ninth place, maybe you sneak into a playoff spot as the second wild card or something. But it just seems that yeah, absolutely, he's con- he's conditioned us to ex- to lower really lower our expectations as fans. And uh, you know, the more I think about it recently, you know, uh, we'll, we'll dive into this another episode. But I, I just I, I'm kind of sick of it. And uh, you know, looking at other franchises and how they're able to turn around, uh, it's just it's not a good luck. And you're absolutely right. Uh, eight years is a really damn long time to figure it out,
0: and frankly, he has not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say the most, uh, at least the most entertaining game of the week was last night's game against Dallas, where they got out to a three nothing lead, uh, including a goal by Jordan Wheel, who had been scratched for quite a while. He didn't even realize it went in, but the Dallas Stars, who are another playoff team, clawed mm-hmm. back, tied the game, and after they after Tyler Sagan scored the winning goal in overtime you probably saw this Brennan Gallagher was absolutely furious with a missed call in overtime. That was, it was a blatant missed call. I don't remember the Dallas player, but Joel Armia got tripped. It was a clear stick in the skates and it went uncalled. And there were some expletives shared between Brennan Gallagher and the referee whose name I don't remember. Uh, But that was something that kind of rubs me the wrong way when uh, a referee can say, go fuck yourself to a player because that's not someone who I trust to to run the game objectively. If you want to like you know be stern, tell them to go away. But something that seems personal like that, like a personal attack, uh, that's that's not okay with me. Looks very unprofessional and just the
1: refereeing yeah. of the game as a whole uh, was. I would agree with with the Habs on this one to a certain extent. You know, it, it was quite skewed. There were a bunch of miscalls, uh, a question, a couple of questionable calls on the Habs. And, uh, yeah, and we also saw that, you know, the, there was a missed high stick on Max Domi uh, where he was bleeding. So it yeah. should have been a double minor at that point. And so, yeah, so the, the, the officiating all through the game uh, was pretty questionable. And to see the, the guy, you know, say go fuck yourself to Gallagher, uh, not a good look for the for the officiating crew uh, for refereeing as a whole, because we've talked about in the past how it just seems like they don't want to make the calls. They just want to you know, game managing and referees as game managers. We've talked about this before. It's just not, it's not working right now for the league. Uh, but other than that, if we getting into how the actual game went down, uh, yeah, it, it, the officiating was suspect. Uh, it wasn't great. And, you know, maybe it was skewed a bit toward the stars' flavor. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, come on, they blew a three nothing lead. Uh, Dallas looked dead coming into the game. The halves were firmly in control, and just they they fell flat again. And to to lose uh, another multi goal lead, second time this week we've had two blown multi goals uh, in just between podcasts, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Just. Embarrassing. I I don't care how much you want to talk about the refs. Yeah, sure, they're horse shit. But the fact of the matter is, you gave up four straight goals uh, in a game that you frankly had to win if you wanted any sort of remote chance at the playoffs. Uh, Just to lose like this, uh, totally demoralizing, embarrassing, and uh, yeah, just painful to watch.
0: Yeah, the trade deadline is in eight days. So uh, we'll definitely dive deeper into that next week. But because we also have recently talked quite a bit about the possibility of trading the pending UFAs, Kovalchuk, Scandella, Nate Thompson. Uh, And we were kind of, uh, you know, teetering on the edge last time, like, oh, if they can keep up this this good pace that they're on for the last 12 games or so, then maybe they should hold on to them. I think we're all in agreement now that, trading them is the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Get as much as you can for them. There's there, they're not going to help in the long term. There's no way you're making a playoff spot this year. And so if you want to sign them to an extension, fine, that's not the greatest move in my opinion, but, but you sure as hell can't let them walk this year. I don't want to see a single UFA, uh, hit the market from the Habs, uh, when it comes to the offseason, when it comes to July 1st, uh, because that would be just the total mismanagement of assets. Get it, whatever you can, uh, I mean, Kovac was red hot up until about a week ago, so I'm sure there's definitely a market for him. Find a trade partner, get a second, maybe try to get a first, get as much as you can. Uh, Scandella and and Thompson, you know, just they're not high, you know, big names, but still, somebody's willing to trade something for them, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, Bay should absolutely be on the phone 24/7 at this point, trying to find a trade partner, uh, trade partners, uh, and to get something going because. Yeah, this season is over and to keep it uh to, to keep some sort of hope
0: with these UFAs, I think is just the wrong move. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have a problem finding good value for Kovalchuk or Nate Thompson. The one that kind of worries me is Marco Scandella, and that's just because they just gave up a fourth-round pick for him just over a month ago. And I think that maybe someone would offer back a fourth-round pick, but that's definitely not a given. And I'm worried that Mark Bergevin, who, as we know, which is the case with most general managers, are concerned, number one, with their job security, and number two, with doing what's right for the team, might hesitate to trade Marco Scandella for anything less than you just gave up for him. And because uh what you just gave up for him might not be available, uh I'm kind of worried that Mark Bergevin is going to end up holding on to him and maybe sign him to a one- or two-year extension, but also might he might just walk in the summer. Uh, that would obviously be the wrong thing to do, but I'm worried it, it might happen.
1: Yeah, it's just, we, we've seen this across the league, you know, multiple instances where you trade for a guy, he's total crap, uh, and so you don't want to trade him or, or you don't want to let him walk in free agency, uh, and so, you know, you sign, him, you sign him to an outsized contract. I'm pretty sure Eric Goodbranson is a solid example of that. Uh, and it's just, when you start worrying about optics, that's where as a general manager it really starts to go wrong because now you're not, uh, dealing with objective evaluations of players and and asset management. And so if he's worried about optics, that's a big problem. Uh, and you know, we we just talked about how, you know, maybe his tenure should be coming to an end, uh, sooner rather than later. And, uh, if you're worried about optics, that's probably a bad sign, uh, for your job security.
0: Yeah. Uh, the other Habs news we should mention, probably the biggest one of the week besides the games, is Shea Weber, who last week's episode, we thought he would just be out for about a week. But it was announced on Wednesday that he was he's expected to miss four to six weeks, which uh, sounds a lot to me like the rest of the season, because I don't see a point in four to six weeks from now when we expect the Canadians won't be any closer to the playoffs. To bring Shea Weber back for a meaningless last two weeks, especially in the the thick of the the tanking battle that she'll shall uh shall undergo in the next couple of weeks, so I don't think we're gonna see Shea Weber back on the ice this season. Uh, the the thing that got the most uh, most attention about that before the Canadian said it would be four to six weeks, Nick Kiprios, who no longer works at Sportsnet by the way, said that Shea Weber is likely to miss the rest of the season. But the three words that kind of threw everyone off was he said that Weber's future is in question. Future in question, that was it. So all of a sudden I was going, oh, but is he ever going to play again? You know, Is he going to have to, have to retire? Is he going to be ltir for the last five, six years of his contract? We didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were in the dark for a couple hours. So, uh, But the Canadians did say four to six weeks, so expecting that he'll be back in training camp. And Nick Kiprios definitely took some heat for that. Yeah, I I think deservedly so. Uh,
1: to to put something out like that uh, when it ends up being frankly not correct, uh, it's pretty irresponsible. It had basically the whole Twitter world up in a frenzy uh, with those three words, and so yeah, it ended up being an ankle sprain, uh, four to six weeks. Uh, that that foot, it's the same foot that he. He broke last season, and so you got to think, you know, that's that that foot's kind of compromised. So I think definitely at this point, you keep him out for the rest of the season. There's no point bringing him back, especially as you mentioned with the tank. Uh, and uh, yeah, Nick Kiprios, not a good look for sure. Uh, yeah, not something you want to be wrong on. Uh, and uh, yeah, thankfully uh, this 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 Weber thing isn't hopefully isn't going to be uh, after. It's not going to stretch over into next season. Uh, getting. You know, moving kind of to, to Weber's injury history, uh, it's it's starting to get well. It was already pretty concerning. It's really starting to you know, kind of kind of just it gets. It seems like it gets worse every season. Uh, he's missed a lot of games. Uh, even just as a Montreal Canadian, and yeah, it's just it, I get maybe it's uh age, uh you know hard miles from being in the league the way he plays. Uh, maybe it's kind of catching up to him. Uh it's just, yeah, he's missed a lot of games, whether it's the foot, the ankle, uh, and, and other various injuries. Uh, I think he dealt with, what was it, like a groin injury or lower body injury earlier this season, too. Uh, it's just very concerning, uh, especially since we are tied to him for, what, five, six years uh, from now on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, with uh with Jay Weber getting older and uh Jeff Petrie too, I think thirty-two now, and well he hasn't uh he seems Jeff Petrie at least just seems to be getting better, but we don't know how long he's gonna be around for. His contract doesn't extend that much longer. Uh there's actually been a couple rumblings that the Canadians are interested in one or both of Matt Dumba and Jared uh, not Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba and Jonas Brodeen the two Minnesota wild defensemen who may be on the block. We saw them trade Jason Zucker earlier this week. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but apparently Max Domi might be on the table to try and acquire one of those defensemen. I don't know if that's something that will happen this year at the deadline, or maybe if that's something that's more suited to an off season move, but I think that would be probably a a pretty good move for both teams. Maybe not straight up, maybe, you know, but our picks or other marginal players, thrown around in there to, to balance it out and whatnot. But I think either one of those two defensemen would be a pretty good fit on a thin uh, Canadian's blue line. Yeah, yeah, we, we need another
1: stud back there. And uh, well, when you're talking about trading Max Domi, I, I'm certainly not uh, totally opposed to that. Uh, he, he, he did great last year. He had his little breakout, but this season he's been pretty inconsistent. Uh, and so, I mean, if you can get a quality defenseman like your Jonas Brodin, like your Matt Dumba. I'd certainly be for it, uh, especially since uh, I'm not sure about Brodin, but I know Dumba has a bunch of years left on his contract. Uh, and so, yeah, and I'm not, personally not a huge fan of Max Domi. Uh, and when it comes to the timing of this kind of deal, I, I hope it's not, I, I don't think it's suited for the trade deadline. I think you wait until the off season uh, because you certainly yeah. don't need Matt Dumba or Jonas Brodin immediately. Uh, and yeah, positionally it makes sense because you know the Habs have a bunch of prospects coming up the middle. With your, you know, your Nick Suzuki's already arrived. Ryan Ryan Paling, uh, you have your Cockney Emmy, obviously, and so I think they're set uh, going into the future at the center position for the first time in a long time uh, when it comes to this franchise. But it's looking bright in that position, and when it comes to the defense, it's it's still looking pretty thin. And so, you know, yeah, I I certainly w- I think an acquisition of. Uh, not necessarily a veteran, but just a a quality NHL top four defenseman. Uh, Certainly the Habs have something the Habs have to look into when it comes to this offseason.
0: Yeah, uh, I I can tell uh, that my hope is pretty much totally lost as soon as I start daydreaming about who the Canadians could possibly pick in the draft. Uh, Marco Rossi is one of the names that uh, kind of really shot up the rankings. I think I read uh, in the OHL this year, since November 8th, there was only one game in which he didn't score a point so that's someone who'll definitely be going in the top 10 possibly in the top 5 that's my the the new guy i've got an eye on just thought i'd throw that out there obviously we'll talk more about the draft as it approaches in May and June but um i think uh if there's anything else you want to add about the Habs you can do it now otherwise we can move on to the Jason Zucker trade uh yeah sure let's move on uh to the uh big transaction
1: of the week uh Jason Zucker was traded from the aforementioned Minnesota Wild uh, to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and so it just it seems like this trade has been in the works for a long time now. There, there was a rumored, I think it was uh, Jason Zucker for Phil Kessel trade uh, before he was dealt to the Coyotes. I think that was in the works, uh, and so it just seems like Pittsburgh's yep. been chasing this guy for a while, and uh, they finally got him. And so uh, I think the I don't remember the, exactly the details of the return, but there was a first-round pick this year. Uh, Kaelin Addison, who was a defensive prospect. Uh, and, uh was there anything else? Alex Galchenyuk. Right. How could I forget? Alex Galchenyuk. How could you? Uh, I think this is his third trade in like 18 months or something crazy like that. He's been traded a bunch or third trade in three years. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but, uh, he's off to a new team. He's off to the wild. And so, yeah, you want, you want to talk about, uh, about the pieces in this trade? Yeah. So
0: my, my first, My first reaction was that that's definitely quite the nice haul the Minnesota Wild got for Jason Zucker, who was a fine player, top six winger, not exactly superstar level. Uh, To get a first-round pick and Kaelin Addison, uh, that's that's very nice. The Wild don't have very many uh, good prospects. Uh, That's kind of the product of them trading away Uh, mid-round picks for such a long time to try and stay in playoff contention never a smart thing to do but it looks like now new GM Bill Guerin is about to start restocking the cupboard Kalen Addison was a very important player for Canada at the World Juniors I'm very high on him I think he can be a top four defenseman offensive defenseman play on the power play and uh, that could possibly uh, give Minnesota a little bit of flexibility to make possibly make a a Matt Dumba trade because Keelan Addison is kind of a similar kind of player. First round pick, obviously uh, Pittsburgh's doing very well, so it's probably going to be near the end of the first round, but in such a a great draft like this one, that'll definitely be a good prospect. In terms of Alex Galchenyuk, it really shows how far he's fallen. Just It was June 2018, the first time he was traded, and now February 2020, uh, not even two years later, he's already played. Uh, in for four teams, actually all four divisions, he's played in now. Went from Montreal, the Atlantic, to Arizona, in the Pacific, Pittsburgh, and the Metropolitan, and now on the Central Division, Minnesota Wild. So uh, the main purpose of throwing Galchenyuk in was to more or less balance out the salary with Jason Zucker. Uh, I don't know if Galchenyuk is going to maybe start producing a little more offense in a, an expanded role with Minnesota. He'll probably get more opportunity than he did in Pittsburgh, at least get some more ice time on a team with not as serious of playoff contentions. And he's in a contract here. He's a UFA this summer. So obviously it doesn't look like he'll be cashing in that big, but maybe he can uh, do a little bit better than he has been with the Wild. Maybe, I don't know, possibly find a fit there and re-sign for cheap. And uh, from the Penguins' point of view, which is obviously the, the main thing we're looking at, Jason Zucker, well, we saw he was put right with Sidney uh, Crosby's wing, and he scored two goals against the Canadians. So that's exactly the kind of player who, who would fit in nicely on the Penguins and uh, possibly produce more than he than he has before. And also with Jake Gensel getting injured, possibly missing the rest of the year, uh, Jason Zucker is certainly a, a fine replacement.
1: Yeah, and I, I look at this trade and I immediately think, uh, win-win, and and I and I agree with you wholeheartedly on the Wild there. I think they got a great return uh, for Jason, Jason Zucker. I think they are the winners of this trade. Uh, and there's not much else to say other than they need to restock the cupboard, they need to rebuild, uh, they need to, to look toward the future. And Jason Zucker wasn't going to help them, uh, you know, build years down the road. Uh, but when it relates to Pittsburgh, I think they still came out very good. They came out uh, also as winners, maybe not as much as the Wild, but I thought they did very well. Uh, it's Pittsburgh, with, you know, Crosby and Malkin entering their 30s, uh, maybe nearing the end of their careers, relatively speaking, uh, they, they really want to maximize this window. They want to take advantage of it as much as possible. And in that kind of view, uh, I think this is absolutely the right move. Uh, First-round pick, probably not going to help them with, uh, with when Sid and uh, Malkin are both, you know, still playing well. And Kalen Addison, I don't know if he would have made such a big impact on this Penguins team in the very short term, uh, so yeah, you, we saw Zucker's impact, saw firsthand against the Habs, uh, and so yeah, th- they have been fantastic this year. Uh, you know, they found their uh, second goaltender, it seems, in Tristan Jerry, and absolutely a cup contender. They this this trade bolsters that that fact, and uh, I think they'll be paying the price uh, for for paying all these futures uh, in a bunch of years. I think we'll see maybe. Uh, a Kings-esque uh, collapse into the basement, but I absolutely I think it's worth it because when you've got this kind of window, when you've got two superstars as your one-two center punch, uh, I think you absolutely have to go for it. And they've won a bunch of cups already, and I can they're absolutely contender to win another one.
0: Yeah, as you say, every any year where you have Sidney Crosby and Guinea Malkin has to be a cup year has to be going going all in for it especially now that they're you know 32 and 33 years old and who knows how much longer they'll be able to keep up this high level of play i my guess would be for quite a while considering how good they are and they seem like they're they haven't fallen off yet but eventually time time will catch up to them so these these first round picks these futures uh don't mean much at all when They'll only be coming into their own as soon as Crosby and Malkin are possibly at the tail ends of their careers. So I'd say win for both teams. I think almost everyone is in agreement on that. Uh, the other piece of news to come out of Minnesota this week, Bruce Boudreaux was fired. I meant to check before the show how many coaches that is now this season, uh, but I forgot to. That's, what is it? At least six, seven coaches that have been fired. Uh, I'm not. I'm kind of just throwing that number out. It must be somewhere around there. It's crazy, the amount of coaches. And not only that, also the the high-caliber coaches, the big-name coaches. Uh, Bruce Boudreau, one of them, one of the highest winning percentages in NHL history. Peter DeBoer, Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, Mike Babcock also. Uh, it's going to be quite the, the summer for these coaching vacancies. And I expect we're going to see a lot of coaching movement, a lot of fresh faces, faces behind benches come training camp next year. Yeah, uh,
1: and I just... Looked it up real quick. Bruce Boudreaux is coach number eight to be fired this season. And so we've seen a lot of turnover uh, just mid-season. It's pretty crazy now. Uh, when it comes to quality of coach, I, I, I'm i pretty puzzled as to why they fired Boudreaux. Maybe he, his time ran out, but uh, I, he's he's really an elite coach. I mean, uh, with these, these, these teams, I don't think Minnesota should be anywhere near a playoff spot. This guy wins all sorts of games he's the second winningest coach in terms of win percentage uh in the n h l in n h l history uh and so this guy wins a ton of games and so i think uh even though there are a bunch of you know big name uh coaches on the on the free agent market so to speak right now your your peter laviolette and whatnot i i think bruce Boudreau definitely uh the top if not second best uh coach right now and well we'll have to see where he ends up. I'm sure he'll find uh another job quite easily. Uh and how have the wild been since he's been fired? Do you know?
0: Yeah, I think it was just Thursday, so I'll check to see uh if they've played at all. Oh, they probably played like maybe one one game at least, maybe two. Uh they lost two nothing to the Sharks yesterday. So getting shut out by Martin Jones isn't exactly uh so inspiring uh if you want an idea of that do you know who the interim coach is no uh because i haven't seen a name anywhere i'm actually i just looked at it now i can't even find a name so maybe they don't even have an official interim head coach and there's the assistants are sticking around oh was it uh, dean and they lost to the rangers uh okay so, so i have never heard of that person.
1: so dean of uh he has been an assistant coach for for boudreaux for a while now uh he was with he was with him in washington and he came along with him in uh in minnesota and so yeah he's the interim coach for now uh i certainly hadn't heard of him either uh like until up until he was uh you know hired as the interim coach and so yeah he's the interim coach for now and uh yeah so, some dude uh never heard of him uh and so just i mean i i think minnesota Uh, I think Boudreaux, this coaching, played a big factor into why they were even, you know, sniffing the playoffs at this point in the year. Uh, He's an excellent coach. And, yeah, just looking forward to see uh, where he'll end up next.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you you remember this. The knock on Boudreaux for a long time, I think he was obviously one of the winningest regular season coaches of all time. Uh, He lost something like seven or eight game sevens in a row spanning from his time with the Capitals to the Ducks and he was he was fired from the Ducks in 2016 after they blew uh like a a 3 to 2 series lead to lose game 6 and 7 for like the fourth year in a row. Uh so I know like it's kind of it's not necessarily such a great measuring stick the playoffs for how good a player is or a coach is, but you could really tell looking at those clips. Like the one that sticks out to me, for example, 2015 conference finals, Ducks versus Blackhawks. They were in game seven. The Blackhawks scored first, and then the Blackhawks scored second not long after. And you could see the look on Bruce Boudreaux's face of total despair. He had absolutely no confidence, no faith. It was basically, oh, here we go again. And there's no way that that doesn't rub off on the players. Now, it's been a while before he's been since he's been in a situation like that with the wild, who are obviously a much worse team than the Ducks were at that point, but that's still kind of a question mark for any team with any sort of Stanley Cup aspirations that might look to hiring Bruce Boudreau. Yeah, I think he's
1: perfect on a, in a situation where you want to kind of turn it around, uh, maybe a sort of culture change because he really does know how to how, how to get to a team, uh, because to the you know to 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 start winning because yeah we talk about all this Game Seven yeah. all these Game Seven losses. But it takes, you know, a hell of a coach to consistently get into those playoffs, uh, given the parity situation of this league right now. And so uh, I think for a team that maybe, I don't know, is is in the doldrums, kind of in that mediocrity zone, I think if you want to maybe start making that push toward uh, playoff contention, uh, making the playoffs consistent, I think Boudreaux is a great hire. Uh, however, I think you're right. This whole this whole Game 7 thing has kind of turned into a meme online uh, for Boudreaux. It just seems that it gets into his head every single time. Uh, and yeah, when you see him on the bench, when his team is losing in those Game 7s, it's just like, ah, shit, here we go again. Uh, you could see it in his face. Yep. Uh, the color drains from his, from his cheeks and everything. He just looks dead out there. <clears> and so I think definitely there's something going on up there uh, in terms of mentally. Uh, you know, I think maybe it's some sort of sticking block. Uh, when he gets to that kind of game seven. But just the, the numbers don't lie when it comes to the regular season. This guy is an elite coach. Uh, he gets teams to win. Uh, and so, yeah, he's got his game seven, uh, you know, his game seven worries. But the fact of the matter is, frankly, as a Montreal Canadian fan, I'd love to make it to any sort of game seven at this point. And so, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, just a quality coach. And uh, we'll definitely be seeing him around uh, behind the bench soon
0: enough. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen because they seem quite fixed on John Hines. But Bruce Boudreaux, I think, would be a great fit in Nashville because they've still got some talented forwards who've just been underperforming, basically all of them for the entire year. They have talent on that team. That should team should be uh, a playoff team. They still might make it, even despite the fact that Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and company haven't been doing so well this season. Uh, but they should obviously be better than they are, and I think Bruce Boudreaux is the kind of guy who would be able to get more out of them than than John Hines currently is. But uh, obviously, as I said, doesn't look like that's going to happen with how much how how quick the Predators were to hire John Hines as soon as he became available. Yeah, we talked about
1: it when he got hired. Uh, just still looking back on it, a very weird hiring. They didn't interview anybody else. Uh, and uh, we're looking at his little coaching strategies there. Uh. It's just he hasn't been playing Johansson. He hasn't playing Forsberg. I think he plays them like 10 minutes a night sometimes. And on paper, this team should be a lock uh, This th- for a playoff spot, uh, for a division spot, because this team is so loaded talent-wise. Their defense is, is always, has always been incredible, and, and their forward core, you know, you have your Johansson, your Forsberg. But to not play them like that, uh, to play Austin Watson for how many minutes? Too many. I think he's played 17 minutes the other night. And uh, just... Very questionable coaching by John Hines. I don't know why they were so quick uh, on the trigger when it came to hiring him to replace Laviolette. But uh, yeah, if they make the playoffs, I think it's probably despite John Hines.
0: Yeah, uh, I would uh, I would think the same thing. So if there's anything else about the uh, the Minnesota Wild, or we can move on to one of the suspensions that the NHL handed out this week.
1: Yeah, sure. So we'll we'll start with the, the lesser of the two uh, suspensions of Vander Kane. Uh, he I think it was suspended yesterday. Uh, for a hit against the Jets, where uh, he was suspended three games for for elbowing, and so yeah, and then the the, the big news out of this was he really went off. Uh, he did not like the suspension, did not agree with it whatsoever. Uh, he complained about it in an interview. He went off on it uh, on Twitter, where he actually he he quote tweeted uh, the we didn't talk about this, but the Chara cross check to Brendan Gallagher's. Uh, face neck area that went only uh, with a fine uh, and not suspended. And he pointed to that incident. And he's like, "How is that not a game? Not a single game? But I get three games." Uh, and he was kind of railing on uh, the DOPS, Department of Player Safety. And so, uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on this whole Kane situation?
0: Well, I've actually I've got his uh, his statement pulled up that he posted on on Twitter yesterday. It's a it's a Notes app statement that he's screenshotted with my statement. So let me read that. It says, "The fact." The NHL Department of Player Safety, headed by George Peros, continue to pick and choose who and what they suspend is ridiculous. There have been countless incidents of the same nature through the season and past seasons that have gone unsuspended or fined. No one person can tell you what is or isn't a suspension in today's game. It's become a complete guess. There is a major lack of consistency with NHL Department of Player Safety, a completely flawed system in so many ways. From the suspensions to appeal rights, it's baffling to me how we as players agree to this. You can't continue to give some players a pass and throw the book at others. There has to be an outside third party making these decisions to remove the bias that transpires in this department headed by George Paros. None of it makes any sense. And uh, yeah, so I would tend to agree with the Kinn's statement on that. Um, On one hand, I do think uh, I've been on record saying this on this show almost every time the NHL hands out a suspension, I say it should have been more should more games, it should have been harsher, whatever. So for me, for three games for Evander Kane for that elbow, I think it's fair. But the problem with it, which is uh, kind of the same thing Kane himself seems to be upset about, isn't the fact that he got a three-game suspension, it's that similar plays like this, uh, get less than three games, or get nothing at all. Uh, like something like the Chara cross check that that you just mentioned. There are countless others. Probably pro- probably happen every day that we don't even notice, or almost every day. Maybe an exaggeration, but uh, yeah, the NHL definitely needs to uh lay down the law a little bit harder. And everyone seems to be uh faulting George Peros for this, which I mean, uh, yeah, he's the head. It's his fault. Uh, I don't know if the NHL would fire him. Uh, I don't know if it was any sort of contractual thing. I don't even remember the last time something like that happened. I think Brendan Shanahan chose to to leave uh, to go join the Maple Leafs in 2014. And I don't remember if there was anyone else between him and George Peros. Not exactly sure the history of the, the head of the uh, Department of Player Safety. But George Peros uh, pretty much unanimously, everyone agrees, has basically failed at his job and they need uh, a fresh, fresh face, fresh blood to be making these decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: it's just, it seems that since Shanahan left, I thought Shanahan was a great, uh, you know, head of department of uh, player safety. It just seems that, you know, everything's kind of fallen to shit. Uh, I think Kane absolutely has a point. Uh, when it comes to his rant on the inconsistencies. And I think it speaks to the consistency of, of you know, regular rules and, and officiating as a whole for this league. Uh, there, It seems to be no consistencies on, co- consistency uh, on penalties or, you know, anything like that. We'll talk about how, uh, we'll talk about the Cassian suspension and how he didn't even get a single penalty in the moment. Uh, and there was a linesman standing right next to him. And so, yeah, just no consistency whatsoever. Uh, I complained about this earlier when it came to the, uh, to the to the game against the stars, it just seems that uh, they want they want they fancy themselves the refs do as game managers, and it just doesn't work. Uh, and the Department of Player Safety, they just they're hesitant to hand out suspensions. They're they're you know I don't know how many times I've seen the you know the wording uh, maximum allowable under the CBA in terms of fines. Uh, it's just. They don't want to suspend mm-hmm. anybody. And then this Kane suspension, I agree with you, is I think three games is appropriate. It was a vicious, dirty elbow. Uh, it's just, it just seems like it came out, of, came out of nowhere when you see all kinds of stuff like this. And, and it goes unpunished. And it goes unpenalized as well. Uh, and so I think he's got a point, I agree with him, where the, we should be overhauling the system. It's totally broken. He's right when it says it's guesswork. I have no idea what, what, what's going to happen when it comes to uh, and suspensions because yeah, it just seems like George Parros has a hat full of the numbers. He pulls up a number and he's like, "Here you go." Uh, and most of the time it's zero games, and so it's just uh, yeah, it's it's a problem in the league, and it better be addressed because it's no fun. And uh, yeah, I think Kane's absolutely got a point.
0: Yeah, the the suspension though that really got people upset was Zach Cassian, who uh used his knife shoe. To kick Eric Chernak in the chest. Uh, thankfully Eric Chernak wasn't injured at all. Couldn't even tell if he had even noticed what had happened. But uh, this is obviously very dangerous, just barbaric behavior by Zach Cassian. Um, and he only got suspended for seven games. Which, well, on one hand, has anybody been suspended for for that long this season? I don't know. So the Department of Player Safety might think that they're being extremely harsh here, but. I would have given him at least the rest of the season for using his skate as a weapon. That's just totally, totally dangerous. Totally. It's just stupid. There's must be a harsher word for it than that. Uh, when they, when they announced this suspension was seven games, uh, my, I thought, uh, they should, they should, uh, I think I quoted it. I said, did they mean seven squared? Because 49 sounds quite a bit more appropriate than seven. Um, yeah so i'm kind of kind of at a loss for words uh in terms of that suspension being so short because it just totally because how do you even make that decision how do you decide he said something like oh he was stuck on the ground and it was like an instinctual reaction i don't think those were his exact words but i think that's kind of what he was saying how is it your your instinct you're you're wearing a skate and that could have just as easily if it that was instinctual that could have easily been his face like you could have you could have cut his cheek open uh, who knows what could have happened it's just it's terrible man. the fact oh, it's just seven games man I don't know you probably agree with me on this I don't know if you have anything else to to add because I'm kind of having trouble String thoughts together yeah cut his cut his face, cut his cheek open cut his, cut his neck open
1: uh on the ice there it was just completely outrageous I can't believe that actually happened Zach Kassian is an absolute scumbag for doing that uh we, we, we could talk about first of all Zach Kassian won an atrocious contract we talked about it last week it just seems to be getting worse with every passing day it's been seven days or eight days since he signed that contract and uh yeah gone awfully plays on the fourth line now with McDavid gone uh but that that's beside the point now just uh, just completely ridiculous of uh, you know an infraction. I can't believe somebody actually kicked a guy in the chest intentionally, uh, instinctual or not. That's still an intentional move on the on the on behalf of Zach Cassian. And the f- first let's go yep. to the thing. Zach Cassian wasn't even being pinned down by Eric Chernak. Eric Chernak was pinning down uh, his his Oilers teammate, and Zach Cassian thought it was appropriate to get his teammate free to kick the guy in the chest. Uh, makes no sense whatsoever. And when it comes to defend, you know the, the the DOPS, I cannot believe that they thought seven games was appropriate. What is that, two weeks? Two weeks and a half? I oh, what the heck? Uh, it's just no sense whatsoever. Uh, what is that, four games? You're telling me that's four games more than Evander's, Kane's, uh, you know his infraction. I, 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 I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, absolutely, should have been suspended for the season, uh, at least 20 games. If you ask me, that's a very bare minimum. And uh, when I received the notification, you know, Zach Cassian has been suspended for seven games. We are, we are, you know, we talked about conditioning with Mark Versluis. We are so conditioned by the absolute terrible nature of the DOPS to the point where I was surprised that he even got seven. I thought he was going to get four. Because it just seems that the DOPS is extremely light when it comes to suspensions, uh, and uh, just I was surprised it was even seven, and that's definitely the wrong reaction. Because the first reaction when you see seven games for kicking a guy with your knife boots uh, in the chest, when you could have easily deflected and gone straight to the neck, uh, it should be way more than seven. Uh, And so... Yeah, kicking a guy in the chest without knife boots is bad enough. You you strap on a pair of skates, and now we're talking about you know, given how sharp these NHLer skates are, we're talking about uh, a potential very very serious injury uh, if it goes wrong, and it very could have easily very easily could have gone wrong. And so, just uh, just outrage uh, on behalf of this whole situation because it's just stupid. It's stupid, and you, yeah, I can't find a better word for it either. It seems uh, on every single level uh, from Cassian to the linesman that was standing right next to this whole situation, uh, to George Paros and his gang of hoodlums who don't seem to want to suspend anybody. Uh, and so, yeah, just terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, not a fan of Cassian. Uh, shame on him for pulling that stunt. I don't care how instinctual it was. Uh, just barbaric. Uh, and uh, yeah, just a whole
0: terrible look bad this should not be happening in the nhl at all yeah as you as you kind of mentioned the worst part of this is that it wasn't even such a surprise that it was only seven games i wish it was a surprise that they only got seven games i wish we i wish the department of player safety had set a, a higher standard for themselves but we were expecting an appropriate suspension and seven would be a disappointment but um but it wasn't and um yeah kind of the same kind of thing you mentioned in terms of uh, conditioning the fans to expect a certain thing i hope that it won't be too long before there's going to be a suspension that's laughably low kind of like this one but the thing is the outrage about it from the fans w- won't fade away after a couple of days like the Cassian one kind of has i hope there's one where where like they they keep it up uh, they keep up being angry about it and it actually leads to some sort of long-term change with the department of player safety yeah we need we need wholesale changes uh when it comes to
1: this and it just seems every single time there's any sort of uh remotely controversial action on the ice uh they get it wrong and so yeah just just i i can't wait till they they, they finally figure it out and I don't expect the NHL to, but, you know, I can always hope. Uh, So I think that's my piece. I think that's our piece on this whole suspension game. Uh, You got anything else to add before we kind of switch topics to another Oiler player?
0: Uh, Nope. There are, well, two other pieces of, of Oilers news this, uh, this week. First of all, McDavid injured for the next two to three weeks. Uh, Sounds like quite the blow to the Oilers and possibly their playoff hopes. I think they've actually been managing to stay afloat for a while without him, though. They've won, I think, at least two games they played this week, possibly more. Leon Dreisaitl, of course, really stepped up in his absence. The other piece of news, uh, Darnell Nurse signed a new deal. He was going to be an RFA this summer. But he signed a two-year contract worth $5.6 million a year that walks him straight into unrestricted free agency. So what are your thoughts on that contract?
1: No, I don't, I like when it comes to term, I think it's probably the worst, uh, the worst number you could probably give, uh, Darnell nurse. You give one, then you can say, you know, talk again next year under RFA status. You give him three or more. We're talking about buying some UFA years, but to walk him to that the, you know, UFA status like that, uh, when Darnell nurse has, you know, been pretty integral to that backline, which is, you know, relatively poor, uh, not a great move. I I don't know how old he is. I think he's 25. Uh and so 24 yeah. maybe, 25. Uh but uh just uh I mean 25. the the I don't have such a problem with the money. I mean, he's he's been a decent defenseman. Uh but yeah, that two years sticks out like a sore thumb. And uh yeah, you never you never as a team, you never want to walk a guy like that uh who is so important to your team to free agency like that. Uh, just uh, I don't know. It it seems like bad management. Uh, what do you think?
0: Yeah. Uh, I feel like possibly our perception of Darnell Nurse is a little bit warped. Uh, we kind of, at least I do. I can't speak for everyone. I I've had this perception that he's like possibly he ideally like a very good number two defenseman. Uh, or maybe 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 a very good number three and an average number two, we could say. But a lot of people seem to think that uh that perception is a lot based on the fact that he was a super high draft pick, seventh overall. And in reality he isn't that good. Possibly better suited to like uh you know maybe being uh, number four defenseman maybe even on a on a good team. And so the the Oilers uh for a lot of people thought overvaluing him with this contract. I would have expected something around if he had signed a long term deal, like Josh Morrissey's number, maybe around six and a half. So, uh, so this five point, what was it? 5.6 that he got AAV, uh, was probably the result of them having to keep the cap hit down because they're so close to it. And the only way that they could do that was to give Darnell Nurse just two years and to walk him straight into unrestricted free agency when he's going to have way more leverage two years from now. So yeah, I'd say this contract, uh, is obviously not very good for the Oilers in terms of the term, two years, and then free agency. And in terms of the, the AAV, possibly below market value because of the term. But if that's actually what Darnell Nurse is even worth, I'm not even sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, it just seems that you have a one way with Nurse is not that good. You have it the other where we think that Nurse, you know, he could maybe a top pair defenseman. It just seems either way that the Oilers contract looks bad. Uh, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. just just uh, bad management. Uh, a couple of bad contracts in a row. Uh, I just talked about how Cassian's contract is a train wreck like 10 days in. Uh, and so, yeah, the Ken Holland off to a pretty bad start, not going to lie. Uh, he, he set a tire fire over there in Detroit, and maybe he brought that over to, to Edmonton. And I certainly don't want who to... Who could have seen this coming? Yeah, I wonder. Eh? <sighs> yeah, who... who who would have thought? Who would have thought? So, but I, I hate to see this happen to McDavid, man, and to and to a kind of a lesser extent, Drysdale too. You know, just these kind of or two. Yeah, Connor's obviously a generational talent, and and Leon, given how he's played in Connor's absence, probably up for the heart. Win the Art Ross. Yeah, the Art Ross, and, and he should probably get a good look at for you know for, for the heart trophy as well. And so, uh, yeah, just I you, you hate to see talent wasted under bad management, uh, especially when it comes to the best player in the world. And uh, it seems like that's what's happening in Edmonton.
0: Uh, And it seems like that's always what has happened uh, with Edmonton. Mm -hmm. I feel like sometime in the next couple of years, McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to be able to drag the team to a deep playoff run, at least like the third round. Eventually, it's going to have to happen that they'll have some goalie who starts playing at least okay, and McDavid and Dreisaitl managed to absolutely drag that team, kicking and screaming, into a deep playoff run. Maybe even this year with how weak the Pacific Division has been. Yeah, we could always hope, and
1: I would love to see uh, a Mc, you know, McDavid in the deep round of the playoffs, but it's just the team around him is so bad. For the love of God, they're just terrible. Uh-huh. And it's just, you know, I just it's such a shame that, frankly, he has no wingers. He barely has a defense. His goal is inconsistent as crap. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and just overall bad contracts throughout the team. You could argue McDavid took a discount uh, with his, I don't know, $12.5 million cap hit. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's he just they're did. mismanaging that discount to hell. Uh, you know, it just, it's, it's sad. Uh, sad franchise. And, frankly, I'm surprised they're in a playoff start right now in the Pacific. But, uh, yeah, that's just how it is in a weak Western.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, so that's uh, that's kind of that on the, the Oilers, I think. You wanted to talk a little bit about some progress they, the NHL has made with the IOC and the IHF on uh, Olympic talk for 2022? Yeah. So we saw some relatively big news come out. Uh, and so obviously we, we, we looked
1: at the last one in Pyeongchang, the last Olympics. Uh, total train wreck ratings-wise, quality of play-wise. You had a bunch of scrubs from Europe come in and play. Uh, and it wasn't like obviously you know it's, it's international hockey sure it will follow, but it's not nearly as fun as best on best. And so uh, we were definitely hoping, especially with the the whole you know new ball game, the crazy market that is China. Uh, you'd love to see the NHL try to you know expand its brand uh, and to send those NHL players for the the, the Olympics uh, in 2022. And so uh, we've seen these talks stall. However, the new news and, and it's always been that the conflict. Uh, whether the NHL goes in or not, it's always been between, you know, the IOC, the IHF versus the NHL and, you know, the IHF, the IOC, all these, all these parties, they don't want to spend the money. Uh, they don't want to be the ones that pay for the travel, the insurance, the branding, whatnot. And so, you know, it's, it's been a very greedy war, uh, when it comes to, you know, does the NHL come in? It's always been about the money. Uh, and, the what happened was it came out that uh, basically the IOC and the IHF they 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 looked at how the Pyeongchang Olympics were uh, and and they basically caved uh, and they said okay we'll give you your accommodations for travel insurance uh, and we'll even let you you know insert some NHL branding a- and so that's that seems like a huge win for the NHL right they their their main advers adversary it seems this whole process has been IOC IHF and. The the, the 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 most shocking part this with this whole thing is that the NHL despite the you know these international organizations they, they finally caved the NHL says it's still comfortable not going and that I think that says a lot about the league uh, it's very very disappointing that the league seems to still uh, be focused on the money and, and maybe not against the IOC anymore now that they've caved but They want to use it as a bargaining chip in the next CBA against the players. And I cannot believe that they have the audacity to do that. Uh, It's an outrage against the fans. It's an outrage against the players. uh, And uh, frankly, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, hoping that the players will cave and give them concessions on some other issues, maybe like, I don't know, uh, escrow or something like that. But it just seems that the Olympics have now turned into just another bargaining chip when it comes to NHLPA uh negotiations for the next cba and so yeah that it's just it it looked promising initially when, when the news came out but that when the nhl came out and said no we're still happy not going it becomes apparent that this whole fiasco maybe holding out against the ioc was more of a facade uh to the fact that they're just holding out to prevent the players from going in order to get better position when it comes to negotiations
0: yeah that's uh that's the main reason why I didn't get very optimistic at all as soon as the, the news came out and until until anything is official uh I don't really care and I I'm going to have a hard time caring about any sort of new development because because the NHL continues to say uh yeah we're fine without the Olympics we'll just we'll maybe make another world cup again in like 10 years and that'll be enough for us so I'm not going to get uh very excited about it actually leading into because we didn't know uh a time without NHL players going to the Olympics every four years until twenty eighteen. So with when those discussions were ongoing through through twenty sixteen through twenty seventeen, I was like I was pretty much totally optimistic. I thought, yeah yeah, they'll work something out. Players will go to the back to the Olympics. But um I think it was April twenty seventeen, about ten months before the Olympics, it was official NHL players weren't going and I was I was so surprised and disappointed. So so I'm not really and uh, I'm not really ready to say any anything in either direction in terms of, oh, this is positive progress. Not only because, well, I'm not an expert about it, but also because nothing's been confirmed and because, as you said, the NHL said we're fine not going back.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, another example of the, the... It's a pretty garbage league that we're looking at, the NHL, here. Uh, and it's a very ner- narrow-sided point of view here because you know it's, it's really all about the money at this point. And uh, it probably makes them more money to go to China and grow that game uh, over in Asia in that brand new market and to mm-hmm. just stand steadfast on what is probably not, you know, I mean, obviously we're playing with a lot of money when it comes to these labor talks, but probably a drop in the ocean when it compares to the potential that you see in China. And to skip out on these Olympics, uh, just so you can get, you know, what you, you want your extra 2% when it comes to the salary cap or, or how revenue split, uh, it's just, uh yeah trash league uh and screw Gary Batman for all of this because it's 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 bad for the fans frankly and uh yeah all of us are getting screwed over here because we saw how 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 much worse the olympics in 2018 were without the nhl players and it seems like we might be seeing that again in 2022 in china
0: it feels like we can't get through an episode without pointing out some new glaring flaw in the National Hockey League. And there are far too many to count, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's just...
1: Exactly. I I don't know what else to say to that. Uh, It's just a very, very flawed league, uh, especially compared to the other major four. Uh, So, moving on. Uh, We will... uh, uh, So, yes. On to some brighter news. Uh, a couple of notable hey. mains who retired in Vancouver this week uh the twins Henrik and Daniel Sadine uh, had their numbers go up into the rafters and uh yeah, a solid moment. got anything to say?
0: Yeah well uh I feel like we should we should take a, at least a couple minutes to to honor these careers. We only really saw kind of the the tail end of them. They hit their primes around uh late twenties, early thirties. They each won uh, an Art Ross trophy, Henrik in 2010, Daniel Sedin in 2011. Uh, Henrik also won the uh, MVP the year he won the Art Ross, and Daniel was the the runner-up the next year to Corey Perry. So really, this is the fact that these are twins who are not only, well, identical twins, not only both uh, superstars at a sport, but also played together, their whole careers, and kind of defined an entire era for a franchise. It's something that's probably never going to happen again in any major sport, and I feel like we should probably be giving more credit to it, especially the fact that they played on the same team. Uh, just uh, I think there's like a documentary or something on how Brian Burke, who was the GM of the Canucks at the time, managed to pull off acquiring the second and third overall picks to pick Daniel and Henrik Sedin because going into draft day, uh no one was expecting Daniel and Henrik to end up together they were both going to be high picks everyone knew but uh but vancouver kind of shocked the world in 1999 pull, pulling that off to to get those two players and uh i'm sure they still would have had successful careers if they didn't play with each other but the fact that they did uh was was really special uh the the one thing though that kind of bugs you looking back especially 2011 no stanley cup and they came so close yeah, uh, Game Seven, they lost to the the Bruins in 2011. But even without that, obviously, two two very s- successful careers for two legendary players.
1: Yeah, and it's just you you mentioned it earlier. It's just it's crazy that you know two identical twins, uh, were on the same team, played at the same time, uh, and were on the same line, had incredible chemistry together. Uh, they were both respectively, you know, tops in scoring in the league, uh, at different at different times, and it's just. Bonkers. We'll never see this again in our entire lives, probably. Uh, just identical twins that played on the same team. And I want to, you know, dive mm-hmm. a bit into that 1999 draft uh, when they were drafted. And I want to get into those trades. The general manager was Brian Burke at the time. Uh, and, and just the sheer yeah. number and and the, the the caliber of these trades. I just want to expand because it's absolutely bonkers. I looked into it. And so, uh, you know, Vancouver had the third overall pick going into the draft. And so, you know, that that's where they were at. And Burke decided he wanted the Twins. And so he needed that second overall pick, I guess. He needed another top whatever pick. And so he started off, he traded, uh, he traded for the fourth overall pick with the Blackhawks. He traded away Brian McCabe uh, and, his, and his, uh, his first round pick the next year in the year 2000. Uh, and so there we go. He's got the third and the fourth overall picks. Then, uh, and I think well, this is probably the most ridiculous trade, what he did. Uh, he got the first overall pick from Tampa Bay. By taking the fourth overall pick that he just obtained uh he gave that to Chicago along with only two third round picks uh and you know in today's trade market when it comes to draft picks uh fourth overall pick for and two thirds for the first overall pick uh kind of a bonkers trade that he pulled that off i mean it's just ridiculous and yeah. and so he he's got the first and third overall picks at this point uh and, and you'd think that'd be enough, but no uh he well, I think he traded it again. He traded the pick. Uh, he traded the pick to to Atlanta, and basically, it, he gave the pick to Atlanta so that Atlanta, who had the second overall pick, uh, would take the first. And he prom the the Atlanta GM promised not to take either of the twins, and he took Patrick Stephon first overall. And so, yeah, Burke found himself with a second and third overall pick after, like, three different trades involving the fourth, first, and second overall picks. And, uh, yeah, he got it done. And uh, it just seems like he nailed it because Patrick Stefan was kind of a bust there. And uh, so, yeah, just crazy hmm. trades and a crazy career. And when it comes to the Hall of Fame, I think I think we'll see. I think they're, they're, I think eventually they'll probably both make it in. But at this point, I think they're, yeah. uh, they're borderline, uh, probably because of the, the, the Cups. They, they never won the – as stupid as of an argument as it probably is, uh, it just seems like it, it plays a big factor. But I think they belong in the Hall of Fame, uh, just, just based on the oh, yeah. novelty. I think based on the novelty of two twins on the same
0: team, on the same line, so good for so long, uh, just, just incredible. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's fair to call them borderline. I I don't if I don't think I'm biased towards the Sidines, but I'd call them shoe-ins. I know a lot of people are kinda of wanna make the hall smaller, start like limiting who can get in maybe. I'm I'm kind of opposed to that. I feel like there are so many great athletes and it's I don't think it's fair to just restrict to the very, very few. I think we we need to, to celebrate all the all the legends and the Sadines are definitely legends. Um just looking at the the career stats now. Uh, They both have very similar stats. They each have over a 1,000 points, and I think that should be enough. You have over 1,000 points? Are you kidding? In the NHL career? Yeah, they should definitely both be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, I think we differ a bit. I think they should make it, but maybe not
1: first year. But, yeah, Hall of Famers in their own right. And uh, Or when it comes to the Hall of Fame in general, I actually disagree on that whole point. I think they should make it smaller because... I don't know. I just feel like the Hall of Fame has kind of lost its shine over the years. I mean you, mean, you know what I mean? Like, I look at baseball, and baseball really nobody makes it to the Hall of Fame. It's very rare, and I think that's just that's just what makes it so much more special. Uh, when you you know you get a guy like this year was Derek Jeter uh, who made it in, and it's just it it becomes huge news. Uh, meanwhile, in the NHL, the Hall of Fame. I mean, like obviously you keep track of it, but it's not so big anymore. You know, it's like okay, a bunch of names, and I and I know them all, and I think. And we look at them, and we look at who's already made it into the Hall of Fame, and we think, yeah, they were definitely going to make it in, but it's just, it doesn't feel that special. But that's
0: just my opinion on it. Uh, and so, yeah,
1: yeah just I have, uh, I have
0: a hard time. I feel like I, I feel like I would have a hard time caring about uh, any sort of Hall of Fame thing, no matter what they did to it. Just because I don't know, it just it feels so so subjective and artificial. Like here is a lot of. Really good players who were just good enough that we decided to put a plaque in a building. Uh, I don't know. It just it feels kind of, kind of. I don't know what the the right word is. Kind of artificial, as I said. Like a little saturated to me. I don't know. But everyone does it, and everyone seems to get some sort of enjoyment out of it. So I won't complain too much. Okay, so we'll move on. Uh, back to some
1: news. Sure. Things. Well, back to some sadder news. Uh mood, mood goes down a bit. Uh so probably the biggest piece of news coming out of the, the league this week because it was so shocking was uh Jay boom uh in the middle of a game against the Ducks, I believe. Uh he collapsed yeah. on the bench. And uh so yeah, they, they stopped the game uh immediately. They they ended up postponing it to a later date. And uh yeah, he was he was, you know, evacuated to the hospital and it turns out this guy had a cardiac arrest on the bench, believe it or not. Uh, the prognosis seems to be positive, uh, you know, the, the days after the incident. It seems like he'll, uh, you know, make a full recovery. And, uh, yeah, it was just very, very shocking to see. Uh, you know, we, we don't see it that often. But, uh, yeah, kudos to, to the medical staff over there in Anaheim because it seems that they were really, really, you know, f- very fast in their response. And uh, probably thanks to that, that you know, Boomyster, I don't know if he'll play again, but if he does, you know, and, there, and there's a chance of that happening now. And it's probably because of those, it's definitely because of those doctors.
0: Yeah. I'm always, I'm always in awe when something like that happens, something like this, such a, a rare circumstance that someone would collapse on the bench, but immediately all this, all the medical staff is totally prepared for, for this situation and they know exactly how to act. They know exactly what to do. Uh, it's just, it's amazing what, uh, what they can do, how they can react so quickly and they know exactly how to possibly save his life. I don't know if his life was in danger, but it could have been. Uh, we saw a similar thing with Rich Peverly about five or six years ago with the, the Dallas Stars. He collapsed on the bench as well, and uh, he was saved, of course, but his career was uh, was no longer. He didn't play in the NHL again after that. Uh, I think for, for Jay bomeister I'm – as I've mentioned, as I'm sure you know, not a medical expert, but from what I can gather, I feel like it would probably be best for Jay bomeister not to play again because now uh, he is exposed to, to this extra risk. And I mean he's already, of course, made a ton of money. He's won a Stanley Cup, 36 years old. I expect an Olympic gold medal too. Uh, I expect that Jay Bomeester is probably going to 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 say goodbye at the end of this season. Would be my expectation, just because, from from what I've heard, I think if he were to play again, then there would be an extra layer of of danger that uh, he, I, I, well, I personally wouldn't want to to interact with, uh, and I don't think Jay Boeumester would either.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't play uh, hockey in the NHL if I had a cardiac arrest. But you know, we know how hockey players are. They're, they're frankly crazy. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a total shock if Jay Boomy started saw him back on the ice next season after, you know, extended recovery. Uh, and I do believe that his life was in danger because they had to use uh, the defibrillator uh, to, right, to yeah. revive him, basically, because his, his heart was all out of whack. And so, yeah, just and, and I think that's part of what makes it so shocking that it actually happened. Like they had to use the paddles on this guy. Uh, his heart basically stopped, and that's what a cardiac arrest is, right? And it's just, uh, yeah, just shocking news coming out of the NHL mm-hmm. and uh, very, very happy that, you know, coming out of it, it's, it seems to be only, you know, good news.
0: So uh, best wishes to Jay Bowmeister. Uh It's been uh, quite a loaded show. We still got our, our standings recap to do if you want to dive into that right now. Yeah, sure. Let me just uh, give you a up? second. I will pull them up. Uh, let's see who's on the up and up. Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe we should get, we could get like a, a little bit of like segue music for this, the standings standings recap thing. We do it every episode at the end. We could, I don't know. All right. Just all a right. thought. We'll, we'll see. We'll,
1: we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss. Well, we'll toss it in as an edit. Uh, Here
0: we
1: go. Thank you. Um, so. There's there, the music. Doo, 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 doo. All right. Now let's, let's, let's look. So at would you extent. like to begin? Uh, let's go. Sure. So. As uh, as typical we will start with the Atlantic as we do every single year, every single week uh and uh, the Lightning man I don't know what else to say uh we we're talking about them every week now in this segment because they're just so damn good uh unstoppable uh another 10 game winning streak believe it or not I think uh they they're the only yeah. team to have multiple ten, multiple winning streaks of 10 games or more in a single season uh and that's Crazy, frankly, given their 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 pretty slow start. And so we talked about how the Bruins, it seemed like they had an iron grip on the the Atlantic division with their, I don't know how many, it was like 15-point lead. Well, guess what? They've played the same amount of games, and the Lightning are only one point behind at this point. And, uh, and they have more wins. They have 39 wins. They have three more wins than the Bruins. Uh, and so if it wasn't for all those Betman points, the Lightning would be firmly in first place. And so, uh, yeah, just... Uh, They look unstoppable at this point. Uh, It just seems like we're talking about them every single week.
0: Yeah, the Lightning, uh, I think they are probably going to pass the Bruins pretty soon, just with how hot they've been. The Bruins have been just fine too, of course, but not at the Lightning's level. So I think the Lightning will be ending the season first in the Atlantic, and I think that will be setting up a third year in a row of Boston versus Toronto round one. Uh, Toronto is now uh, four points ahead of the Panthers. They have played one more game, but just one more game, and that's four points. Uh, and I think the Leafs are going to expand that lead on the Panthers. That's uh, that's just what I see incoming in the near future. After the Jack Campbell acquisition, seems like he's brought a little bit more stability. I think they're going to continue to win games and exp- expand that lead on, on Florida. Yeah, and
1: Florida, it seems like they've really slowed down. Uh, they have three wins in their last ten, and then, uh, and it just seems that, you know, that the scoring finally, you know, the the bad goaltending finally caught up to their scoring, and as, as in, like, you know, the, it was their offense that carried them throughout. And Bobrovsky has been pretty bad all season, and he's continued to be bad. And when the scoring starts slowing down, even remotely, just any sort of tiny bit, uh, they they've really fallen off. And uh, yeah, they're all, they've got a game in hand, only four points back, but you really need to. They need to, frankly, Bobrovsky needs to turn it around if
0: they want a shot at the playoffs because. They are sitting on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, so in the the Metropolitan Division, the Washington Capitals have been just average for the last little while, 5-5 five and five in their last 10, whereas the Pittsburgh Penguins have kind of started to heat up a little bit, uh, well, they've been hot for most of the season, I would say, after the acquisition of Jason Zucker, too, and now they are only three points back of first in the division. Uh It's actually kind of similar to what's going on in the Atlantic. Boston had such a tight grip on first place in the Atlantic and Washington in this division. Tampa gets hot. Looks like they're about to pass Boston. And a similar thing happening in the Metro with Pittsburgh, who has two games in hand on the Capitals, three points behind. Uh, Looks like they're just uh, getting better and better as the season goes on. Yeah. And it looks like in both of
1: these divisions, it's going to
0: be a dogfight. Uh, heading into the end because the Penguins have two
1: games in hand right now, and so realistically, you could think if they win those two games, uh, they'd be the ones in first in the division. Uh, looking at the wild card spots, uh, one notable team that we've you know lauded for a while now, the Blue Jackets with Elvis, they seem to have really slowed down. Uh, they've lost four in a row. Uh, they, they still are somehow. Isn't that crazy? They're still firmly in in that wild card spot. Uh, and they're only one point behind the Islanders for third in the division, and so you know uh, that's how good they were, the Blue Jackets, and they they can afford to lose those four games in a row. So uh, yeah, a bit of a dive there. Uh, maybe the Magics run out on Elvis. I guess we'll just have to see.
0: I wouldn't call it such a firm hold on the the playoffs, but Carolina is really breathing down their necks. All of them. Uh, Carolina is at sixty nine points. Columbus, Philadelphia at seventy one. And Carolina's played two fewer games. Uh, so with the way the Blue Jackets are trending, I wouldn't be so surprised to see them uh, slide out of a playoff spot by the time we do our next episode and be be passed by the Hurricanes.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I was just amazed at the fact that they managed to lose four in a row and they're still in a playoff spot. Oh. But, uh, but yeah, you're All right. right. But uh, yes, they, they, I was wrong on that part. Uh, they are uh Almost out of a playoff spot, and uh, yeah, we talked about the Hurricanes. They're they've been pretty good, six wins in the last ten, and uh, they're probably uh, the only contender for that wild card spot going in for the rest of the season. Obviously, uh, one bad week or one good week for any of these teams, and it can change. But it looks like we'll be seeing five Metro teams in the playoffs this season because I don't see you know Florida or Toronto uh, get a wild card spot.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, sliding down to the very bottom of the Eastern Conference, we will continue our 40-point watch, the Detroit Red Wings, who are now sitting at a remarkable 32 points in 60 games. So if they get four wins between now and the end of the season, then they will have uh, met the 40-point the barrier. They're on pace for 44 points. And actually, uh, by their standards, they're on a bit of a hot streak. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, it's just uh,
1: Steve was dog shit, and uh, shame on the Bruins for giving them those two points. Uh, I expected more from you, Boston. Uh, you really had to ruin the the forty point pace. Uh, and uh, what is it? <laughs> there, I that think, was like a week ago. Yeah, the Habs. I think it was Sunday. Sunday when they played, and the Habs and the Bruins are the only teams to lose multiple times this season to the Boston Red Wings. And uh, so you the, you got the Boston Red Wings. The Boston Red Wings. What am I saying? Boston Bruins. And uh, so, yeah, long episode.
0: Detroit uh, Red Wings. Yes. The Detroit Red Wings. That's what you wanted to say.
1: My bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Detroit Red Wings. And so, uh, yeah, shame on Boston. Just getting a little dig there. Because, uh, yeah, we're not the only team to lose multiple to the Red Wings now.
0: Yeah. Uh, Montreal and Boston account for five of the Red Wings' 14 wins uh, at this point in the season.
1: That's that's pretty crazy. Uh, and what, 10 of their 32 yep. points? Uh, that's a third of their points right there. Yeah. Jesus Christ.
0: All yeah, right. pretty much. Oh, huh. okay. All right, uh, Western Conference, Central Division, uh, the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche have both gained quite a bit of ground on the slumping St. Louis Blues, who've only won two of their last 10. Uh, points right now, 74, 73, 72, for St. Louis, Dallas, Colorado, respectively. Uh, it was looking like St. Louis was... Uh, pulling away with that division lead, but uh, it's turned itself around, and that one will also be a a dog fight for those one, two, three spots. Yeah, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, it just seems in the
1: past weeks we've always kind of dismissed the central as you know the fight for for home ice advantage in that two three uh playoff series, but the Blues have come down to earth. And, uh, yeah, only one point ahead of the Stars, two ahead of the Avalanche, who have a game in hand. And so, uh, yeah, something to look out for. I'm not sure what exactly caused this precipitous fall. They've lost four in a row. Uh, but, yeah, something to monitor. Do you have any idea, uh, any sort of diagnosis for the Blues?
0: Um, No, I haven't been watching them very closely. One thing I do think of is uh, possibly, well, you hear about the Stanley Cup hang- hangover, and it looked like the Blues weren't struggling – with it so much but maybe the fact that they played uh two months or so deeper than a lot of these other teams is starting to to catch up to them now maybe they will start to fall off as they stumble towards uh the playoffs we'll see what's what's going on over there yeah something to monitor uh moving on to the pacific uh it just seems like they're all moving in
1: lockstep at this point. Uh the Canucks, the Oilers and the Golden Knights uh all within one point of each other. The Golden Knights have played two more games, but uh yeah, the Vancouver Vancouver's in first right now, Edmonton in second. And so uh yeah, it just it seems like nobody's managed to separate themselves.
0: We kind of talked about this a little bit last week, so we don't need to go into it too much, but the Carolina Hurricanes, who currently uh, do not sit in a playoff spot, would be in first place in the Pacific Division. Just thought I'd throw that out there. We don't need to dive into the whole uh, terrible system of it all. Just a, a fun little thing I thought I'd mention. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I Vancouver, went in Edmonton, this. Vegas, as you said.
1: I'm sorry? Yeah, I went, on and on. I went in on this last week with this dog shit conference.
0: Yes, yes, we talked about it last uh, last week. Uh, so, yeah, those three teams in the top of the division, well, I would say those three have um, created a little bit of separation, separation between themselves and uh, Calgary and Arizona, especially the Coyotes, who right now 66 points in 61 games are, I think, have the fifth worst points percentage in the Western Conference. So they are on pace to miss the playoffs, even though they do sit in the playoff spot right now. Nashville is the team with uh, uh, four games in hand on them, only three points behind. So they are actually on pace to pass the Coyotes and overtake that last wild card spot.
1: Yeah, and, and, and a bit of a scheduling thing here. How does Nashville have four games in hand on Arizona at this point in the season? Uh, this late, I, some, some very questionable ske- scheduling processes here because there's a month and a half Left, And we're talking about Nashville being a lot more busy than Arizona when it comes to playing those games out. And uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm such a fan.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a hard time criticizing the NHL for these, like these scheduling, weird things we see with teams having strange numbers of games played in comparison to each other, because there's really, there is a lot that goes into scheduling arena availability, travel, things like that, that we don't really uh, get, pay such close attention to. So as far as I know, they're doing the best that they can, they possibly can to keep it even. So I'll criticize the NHL for plenty of things, but uh, I think I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Okay.
1: I guess that's fair. Uh, so anything else you want to mention uh, before we wrap it up on this uh, February 16th episode?
0: Uh, no, I, I suppose that'll be it. Uh, Next week will be probably a trade deadline preview episode. Uh, Maybe we'll even, uh, if we can manage to squeeze in a show right after the deadline, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but there will probably be a fair amount of trades that happen between now and next Sunday, considering it'll be the days leading up to the deadline. So I expect we will have some things to talk about.
1: Yeah, hopefully the halves make a bunch of selling moves. Uh, and uh, this week, the games, we'll see if we... So we'll we'll see the, the Red Wings again, uh, our old no. nemesis. Can't wait to see that. <laughs> uh, Tuesday. Uh, we'll have Washington Thursday, and we'll have Ottawa on Saturday. We'll see if we uh, well, that game will be over by the time we record our next episode. I am wholeheartedly right now on the tank train, and so uh, yeah, I certainly wouldn't mind going zero and four against the Red Wings at this point because I just at this just just give me a better draft pick. Uh, so yeah, I am fully on board with the
0: tank. Bring it on. All right. All right, I'm having a hard time cheering in either direction, really. Such a good draft. I I think I mentioned this to you. If they get a top nine pick, uh, for me, uh, top nine is where the the, that's where little bit of a chasm after number nine. I don't see much much of a difference in the players available between picks three to nine. Obviously, there is a little bit, but not that much. So I won't really be... for either losses or wins which maybe is the the worst thing for personal entertainment but uh can't force anything so, so that's where i stand now uh that that's it for this week's fusion uh, subscribe play, subscribe on itunes and we will be back with an episode next week